Thank you all so very, very much. The uh, We have some lot of, lot of great, strong ladies in this church, don't we? Yes. Praise the Lord, because I, well, I won't say anything about the men, but uh, no, nah, we have great families. And you know what? If we don't have uh, folks passing down to the next generation, we lose out, right? And so I'm so thankful that people teach and pass on to that next generation those things that are important in God's Word. So, all right, take with me, uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And do I have a scripture reader? What did they? Where's my scripture reader? Oh, there he is. I was looking for you. Come on up here. Tell him your name. My name is Benton Barkley. Benton Barkley. I know Benton. Uh, let's see. Uh, you're, you just started football, didn't you? Yes, sir. First year of tackle football? Yes, sir. Is it hot out there? Yes, sir. Whew, you're a better man than I am, brother. <laughs> All right, read a scripture for us today. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Luke seven twenty two. Excellent job. Thank you, young man. Appreciate you. All right, Luke chapter 7. Let's see if we can't dig a few things out of here before you get too hungry. Is that okay? Luke chapter 7, verse 18. We've entitled Identifying the Divine. Let's do a little reading. John's disciples told him about these things, things Jesus had been doing. Calling two of them, he sent them to the, to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? So when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to, uh, to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time... Jesus cured many who had diseases and sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report. Go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Let's deal with this first little section right here in, the, in, eight, in the verse 18 through 23. It's interesting here that John the Baptist is the guy that's on the scene to say Jesus is coming, right? Remember at the baptism of Jesus, uh, John baptized him. John says, behold, there's the Lamb of God and there's a voice from heaven and, and, and there's no doubt, hey, Jesus is on the scene now and he's ready to initiate his ministry. Then John is a big part of that. He's been preaching some pretty hard, tough sermons calling people to repentance. And so they're repenting, they're confessing, they're being baptized by John. And so he's got this whole thing going, you know. And John kind of looks a little strange. He's uh, uh, he's an outdoor guy, you know. He's uh, living out there in the caves and he's uh, eating honey and locusts and all those kind of stuff. And so the, this guy's like the prophet that is strong in his message. And so all of a sudden, after a few months, though, Oh, John, uh, he, he'll challenge anybody, and so he did. He challenged the king, and as a re- challenged the king's marriage being good. As a result, 
He gets thrown in prison. So now he's sitting in jail. His disciples come to see him. And then he gets to thinking about this whole thing and says, Hey, uh, go ask Jesus. Is he the one or should we expect someone else? Now, I don't know about you. Does that hit you a little strange? That John would have some doubt or some hesitancy here about what's going on. But now let me remind you. This guy doesn't like being inside. And he's now imprisoned. And he's held there as a captive. And he's not out being able to hear and see all this. And remember, not all the prophets knew everything about their prophecies. And so in this moment of doubt or hesitation, John sends his disciples. Now, John, John's going to remember and Jesus is going to remind him of the passage out of Isaiah that talks about, that talks about Jesus coming. And one of those things and one of the, uh, that mentions about the Messiah coming on and the king coming on is that he's going to set up a new kingdom and he's going to set the prisoners free. So I'm thinking if I'm John, I'm like, okay, this thing ain't been, ain't been happening yet for me. I mean, I don't know about all this other stuff I'm hearing about, but I'm in prison. I could use a little help myself. Now, I know it doesn't say exactly that way in the Greek, but, you know, you get the message, right? So I can understand, John, because a lot of those folks had a view of the kingdom that was going to happen right there in their land at their time. And John sends those disciples. And when they walk up to Jesus, they walk up to Jesus in the middle of him doing this. He's curing the sick and he's, he's doing these things right there and they're watching him. And can you imagine how awkward that is for them to say, uh, are you, are you uh, I mean, we didn't really want to ask, but John sent us and uh, are you really the one? And Jesus tells them, go tell what you've seen. Go report what you've seen happen. That the blind see. And then he quotes the verse that John knew from the Old Testament. And yeah, confidence grows back again. This is the one. He's the Messiah. They have identified the divine Messiah. John's doubt does not destroy his faith. His circumstances were tough, but with the news from the disciples, he had no doubt. Matter of fact, it's real interesting, even in his doubting and his hesitancy, later on Jesus is going to refer to him as the, one of the greatest of all prophets. John's disciples got the answer when they see Jesus' actions. And the answer was from two ways. What is written and what's been happening right there on the spot. So the Holy Spirit who wrote about it a long time ago is testifying to who Jesus is. And then Jesus' own action as the Messiah is testifying to who he is. And Jesus says, go tell John what you've seen and heard. The Word of God and the work of Christ gives confidence. Jesus is right on track with his mission. And then he says this, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. This idea of falling away comes from a word about how you trapped an animal with a sharp stick and it ended up killing that animal. So he, that kind of trap. 
Sometimes circumstances trap us into unbelief. You know, we see so much injustice out there. Think about the injustice that took place with, with John being in prison for just preaching the truth. Yet, he didn't let his circumstances, while they were difficult, he still believed who Jesus was and knew that there was a greater mission ahead. And sometimes Jesus is just saying to us, hang on there. Because part of the prophet that, he, that Jesus doesn't quote out of Isaiah is that he's coming to bring some judgment and he's coming to, 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 uh, to reckon some folks and to, and to justify some situations. And yet, he doesn't quote all that. That's coming. It's just not coming right now. Although that's some of the very stuff John the Baptist had been preaching, that judgment that was to come. Now, let's look at the next verse 24. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. So now he turns. He's talked and he's done this. with. Now he turns to the crowd and he has a couple of things to say to them. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are, are in palaces. But what did you go out and see? Three times he asked him. What did you go see? Did you go see some weak uh, uh, reeds being swayed back and forth in the wind? No, that's not why you went out there. Did you go see somebody all dressed up in fancy stuff? That's just the opposite of John the Baptist, right? No, you didn't go to see that. But what did you go to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it was written. I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I'll tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John is that great prophet. And yet people who come into the kingdom of God, even the least of them, they're going to be really better off than all of them. Now all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. So they're saying, look, we went out, this group did, we go, we go out, we hear the preaching of John, we hear all of a sudden God's way and God's purpose for our lives, and we're going to make a change. And so they repent of their sins, they confess their sins, and they're baptized. And they're going to start this thing all up. They're coming back to God. That's revival time, right? So that group is ready. They're on board and they've understood God's way and God's purpose. Well, the acceptance of John's message vindicated that what God was doing through John and Jesus was right on target. Yet there was a group that just couldn't stand good news. Look at this next crew. But the Pharisees, that's a lot of religious people there, Pharisees and the experts in the law, they rejected. By the way, this word rejected means to make invalid. They just said, that's invalid. That has nothing to do with me. That's no good. 
They rejected God's purpose for them, themselves, because they had not been baptized by John. They would not submit to John's preaching and, the, and what he had to say, and as a result, they rejected God's purpose and God's way for their own lives. Jesus says, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? So you've got this group there. Well, some of them respond good. And then all of a sudden, the Pharisees and experts in the law, they don't want to have anything to do with with, uh, uh, Jesus or John the Baptist. Now, he says they acted like a bunch of kids. To what can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to each other, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance and we sang a dirge and you did not cry. What's he talking about there? It's like a kid, a bunch of kids playing in the street and they can't get along with each other. Hey, we're playing this, we're playing this stuff like we're, you know, like we're pretend. Your kids ever pretend anything? You know, like we're playing the music like there's a wedding and you guys won't come and get in on this and, and they can't get along. I remember my kids. I can remember them playing church. Your kids ever play church? I mean, I'm not talking about right now in this room playing church i hope we're not you know but playing church right and i remember we got we've got on one of our videos somewhere i gotta pull this up now because uh our kids were playing church and it was susan i mean Kristen and josh my two with uh, pam stevenson's two Derek and daniel stevenson and they're playing church so get a little peek in there they, they got some plates out there for uh, uh, for the communion, they got some plates for the contribution, and Kristen is out there saying, "Daniel, you stand right there. Derek, you take up the co- Josh. You say the prayer." I mean, she, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But long before I had my position on the woman's row, uh, she had her own position. I'm gonna tell you, she was lining them out, and they're playing church, they're passing the plates, and they're doing what they do. But ultimately, when kids play, you ever have those that just can't get along? I mean, they just pester each other. Well, Jesus said, these people who are supposed to be mature religious people who know the book and are experts in all the law, they're acting like a bunch of kids. They should be childlike, but instead they're childish. They can't get along with each other. They argue. They don't follow each other. They can't, they can't work together. They're immature. And then he says this about them. But John the Baptist came, neither eating or drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. They see John and all his strangeness, and they say, well, he ain't from God. He's got a demon. He's not drinking. He's not eating. He's not socializing. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You can't win with these guys. Here's John the Baptist with his message. Here's Jesus with his message. And they say, John is is antisocial, and Jesus is too much social. And they reject them both. Sometimes you just can't please people, right? They criticize the messengers of God. 
and really didn't think anything about it. Then he makes this statement. Wisdom is proved right by all her children. Basically says, just just watch and wait. Because when it comes down the line here, those who trusted God, it's going to be seen because they're going to be producing and reproducing what God wants to happen in the kingdom of God. The very thing, you, very thing you saw with this heartfelt ministry, and the very thing you see with our men's and women's that you just watch, because godly things are being taught, and it's going to grow, it's going to reproduce and reproduce from generation to generation. The good thing, wisdom will see it out. You guys are missing it. This culture of ours has become so childish. When we don't like something whether it's in our work area or whether it's in some of our churches. Are you listening? Sometimes we adapt, I'll take my ball and go home mentality. Well, I don't like what you, I'll just take my ball and go home. Childish. Childish. I'll take my Bible do church somewhere else. They didn't treat me right. We have such a mentality in our culture that is so broken and detrimental to us, we don't even realize how it's impacted the church. I want you to repeat this after me. Okay? Everybody paying attention? Repeat this after me. I'm not entitled, I'm broken. Everybody say that. I'm not entitled, I'm broken. Repeat this next one. I'm not condemning, I'm forgiving. Let's say I'm not condemning, I'm forgiving. Let's put them together. I'm not entitled, I'm broken. I'm not condemning, I'm forgiving. i got one more for you. I'm not damned. I'm delivered. Say that with me. I'm not damned. I'm delivered. One more time. I'm not damned. I'm delivered. You see, if we buy into a culture that says I'm entitled and that I have the pride to be able to condemn other things, then all of a sudden we become, instead of somebody serving God, we become God. We never say we become God, but our actions give us away. You've had injustice done to you? Have you been thrown in prison like John for standing up for the truth and get your head cut off? Nobody said, well, we ain't going that far. I mean, but hadn't bad things happened to you? Doesn't bad things happen to good people? Yeah. How do you handle an injustice? Do you keep serving or do you blame? You know, it's amazing to me that we, uh, we see it all the time. We read the verses about God getting the glory and us getting the encouragement. And yet, yet at the same time, something will happen and all of a sudden I'll get my feelings hurt because somebody didn't acknowledge what I did. Are you kidding me? I'm not entitled. I'm broken. I had a guy tell me one time in another place, 
I said uh, he was he he was arguing with me about what we ought to do at church and how come I took took the information or took uh, input from people who were brand new Christians. And I said, in other words, because you've been here 50 years, you think you deserve to have more impact and uh, and to have more weight in what you. He said, exactly, I do deserve that. And I knew right then I had a problem. I said, brother, you don't deserve anything. And I don't either. I'm not entitled. I'm broken. When people think they're entitled, you know they're not broken. Because they're looking at what they want and think they deserve instead of looking at what's been done for them by the blood of Jesus. You, me, and anyone else that's in the kingdom of God, we're only saved by the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when I get in on that, I ought to do nothing but say, God, how do you want me to serve? Uh, I don't care if it's move chairs, sweep floors, do whatever. I'm just proud to be set free. I've been broken and you delivered me. I'm no longer damned. I'm no longer condemned. I'm a child of God. I ought to have nothing but grateful appreciation. Not, well, you didn't treat me right. I'll take my kids and go somewhere else. What is that mess anyway? I just never quite get the idea that I find that anywhere in the Bible. And we've developed a Western culture that runs around churches shopping for whatever fits my need the best. I don't get it. When am I going to say, what does Jesus need me to be doing? Not what feeds me. I think if I'll serve and if I'll be humble and I'll submit to Jesus who He is, the divine one, and what He wants me to be doing, I think I'll stay on track a whole lot better. When I think of myself too much, myself always gets in the way. Are you like that? Is it just me? See, the problem is, I talk to me more than anybody else talks to me, and I have to listen to me, and I'm not very good at giving myself advice. So I have to expose myself to other voices. There need to be other voices in the room, in my mind, in my head. I need these spiritual folks around me. I need to be able to pull Paul aside, pull Paul aside and say, Paul, you think I'm off track on this? And he'd say, well, yeah, you probably are, Mike. I need that. I need people. who can. I need the Bible to speak into my life instead of me being so introspective that it's all about me. It's all about Jesus. We give him the glory. He is the divine one. He has the divine message. And when I submit to him, I can serve with joy. And I don't have to worry about whether I'm treated right or not. Because down the road, when I get to heaven, it won't matter anyway, right? Aren't you glad you don't have to resolve every injustice in the world? God will take care of that. Well, my, he, he, he's getting away with something. Really? I don't think so. God will take care of that too. You know, if I could love mercy more than I love to see people get what they deserve, I'd be a whole lot better off. Remember what Micah said? This is what I require of you. You can't sacrifice yourself out of, out of sin. 
You can, you can offer a ram, you can offer a thousand ram, ten thousand rivers of oil, Micah 6 says, or you can even offer your own child, but none of that's going to move God. You can't sacrifice yourself out. What, what do you do? God says, I'll tell you what you do, Micah 6. Here's what's required of you. Act right. Do the right thing. Treat people right. Love mercy. And then walk humbly before your Lord. You'll be on the right track there. But love and mercy is a little hard sometimes. I love mercy for me, but sometimes I'm not as quick to love mercy for someone else. You know, I'm the guy that when you watch the movie, I mean, I, the good and bad guy, if I, I want the good guy to whip the bad guy in the end and get the woman. You know, I mean, that's, right? I mean, that's the good movie. I don't want to see somebody done something bad get away with it. Mercy doesn't mean we get away with anything. Mercy means God, God paid the price for me. And I get in on His grace and His mercy. And so there should be nothing coming out of my heart or out of my mind or out of my attitude except gratefulness. Gratefulness for what God's done for me. That's what He's done for you. He sent His Son to die for you. Even when you didn't care, Jesus died for you. Even when I didn't care, He died for me. Even when I was right in the middle of my sin, Jesus, God looked down and sent Jesus to die for me. He loved me that much. Don't miss out on the love of God, the grace of Christ, and the mercy that He has available for you. You can walk away today healed, forgiven, right with God, at peace. You know, I recently read a statement that forgiveness is what happens in God's heart. Healing is what happens in ours. Some of you need to know, you need to hear the words, you are forgiven. And then allow God to heal your brokenness. Father in heaven, we love you. We're thankful for your grace and mercy. Help us not to lose sight of who Jesus is and the message that he has for us in the world. Help us, Father, to, to be a grateful people. Help us to understand we were rescued in our brokenness and we were delivered by the sacrifice of your Son. May we never take it for granted. May we, Father, be people who are not only understand this great sacrifice but are willing to share that good news with other people that they can be rescued out of their own brokenness too. Father, we say thank you. And I pray, Father, if there's anybody in this, these rooms or within the sound of my voice that needs to respond to you like those did in the days of John, they'd repent and be baptized. I pray, Father, for souls to come to you. And I pray for us not to believe the lies of Satan that somehow or another in our own weaknesses and struggles that your blood's not good enough. You're more than powerful enough to keep on cleansing us in our weaknesses. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you, Jesus. In his name, amen. Together we stand and sing.